Last week we took a exit, if you will, an exodus from the book of Exodus, and now we are coming back into it, into chapter 7. Last week we talked about um, just our selfishness at times and what we can do about that and how we ought to, from Philippians 2, count others more significant than ourselves. And so we find ourselves back in our series, God's Glory and Redemption, through the book of Exodus. We're in chapter 7, so if you have a Bible, you can open up there. And it is a really good springboard, not really intended by me as I planned, but as God's Spirit always works, it's a really good kind of like part two of what we talked about in our selfishness in our hearts. And so we're going to read from chapter 7, Exodus, reminding if you've uh, forgotten totally, we've covered these two points in the book of Exodus, is that God is working a good plan built on his promises. These are like all the things we'll talk about, but that plan rarely plays out like we think it's going to. And so we've seen that demonstrated as Moses is charged tasked with going before Pharaoh and saying, let my people come out of Israel and and they see God's redemption. And it just doesn't go the way he thought. And it doesn't go the way we think in our lives often, but God is faithful. Amen. I'm going to read verse 7 through 1 through 13, and uh, we'll kind of cover that bit by bit as we go. Uh, Moses is, and Aaron now is involved here and is before Pharaoh. This is what it says. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle... Then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. With that, I would ask you to pray that God's word would speak to you, as we often do, and I'll pray for us collectively. I would ask God, or ask you to ask God this specific prayer, though, that God would soften your heart. Some of us may be thinking, well, it is soft, that's why I'm here and I will listen. But just pray that. God, would you just soften my heart to the things you want me to know? You pray that, I'll pray for us collectively. Father, we do thank you for your word. It's truth. The stories, the accounts of the Old Testament are no less relevant than what many think just the New Testament is for the church. Father, they are stories of real people who struggled in faith just like we do, who are being asked to do things by you, to be obedient. And Father, things that often don't even make sense to us. And so, Father, I do pray that we would have soft hearts 
not just for this time listening, but for what you'll do in our hearts as you choose to reveal yourself and also to cause our hearts and hands to flee from sin and to choose you as our greatest treasure. And so we honor you as that this morning. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said. So as we dive back into the Exodus study, as I said, we looked at the selfishness of our hearts. And really this is a, is a kind of a, a good sequel to that and looking at the hardness of our hearts. And it's in constant, our heart is in constant need. I'm going to say that again, in constant need of assessment. From moments to moment, moment to moment, we have relationships and strife and conflict. We have things we think about, things we struggle through. And all the time, this spiritual thing, not necessarily physical, spiritual thing within us needs to be assessed where it's at. We go through seasons of life where, where that heart in us, in a spiritual sense, can grow cold or hard to the things of God. And we learn at times that it can grow warm and break to the things of God. Sometimes, and and I'm sure you've met somebody that you would say, oh, whether you're trying to convince them or whether you're in a relationship now with somebody that is just hard-hearted. And what you know about them when we talk about those things, if you've ever met somebody with a hardened heart, you know what it is for a challenge, for a challenge for that person to actually change. Sometimes we talk to people, we try to convince them to change. We try to like have them see it our way. And when your heart is hardened, it's really hard to change. Which leads us to this question that I propose for all of us. Is my will strong enough to change my own heart? As we come to Exodus 7, I think that question and many questions, which we'll kind of cover, are, are kind of unpacked a little bit. Is my own will strong enough to change my own heart? Can I will myself to change? Most of the time, we believe other people and ourselves included can just snap ourselves out of this mindset of whatever funk we're in. You know, we have bookstores that are full of like a new kid by Friday, right? New you by Tuesday. Like new, new amazingly talented, efficient worker by Wednesday. And these things get sold. People actually buy them because they believe I can just think different. And I know this relationship and, and my marriage or, or my child to parent relationship or my work coworker relationship or, or even my relationship. I can just like, I just need to think differently about this. And we do talk about our thoughts and thinking and having your mind renewed. But that's not really the way. This passage sorts of This passage kind of draws out some questions about the human heart. So my framework this morning is pretty simple. I want to look at just five questions that I want to just ask and answer through this text. The first one is this. What is a hard heart? The second one, why are hearts hardened? The third, does God harden hearts? That presents some challenges. For if he does, why does God and God hardened hearts. And fifth, how can hearts then be softened? If we start at the top, what is a hard heart? The aim is a soft heart. We'll answer those through the text. So let me start by giving you just a brief flyover of what we read in Exodus 7, and then I'll kind of uh, address one by one. I won't kind of, I'll very much address one of these questions at a time as we get through the five. And so 
What is happening here up until this point? Moses finds himself with Aaron now. So Aaron has been Moses's, like, he's his prophet, if you will, God is going to say. He's going to speak for him because remember, Moses was asked by God to do something at the burning bush. He says, I'm going to use you. Moses had his list of excuses. He complained. He says, I can't speak. I'm not eloquent. And so most of the time when we give God or others excuses, right, we think that's a find someone else. And God in his foreknowledge says, I have your brother. He's a really good speaker. He'll speak for you. And so Moses quickly learns he's running out of excuses. And Aaron is now joined with him and they go to Pharaoh. And so what's happening in Exodus 7 is they go to Pharaoh and they want to obey what God has said, even though they know God has just told them, I'm going to harden his heart. He's not going to listen to you. Much like, you know, you have relationship conflict. I have it. And sometimes you go to talk to them or somebody says, just go and talk to them one more time. And you go and you say, I'll go, but he's not going to listen. I'll go, but they're not. That's kind of how Moses goes. I'm going to do this, but they're not going to listen because God has said, and then he tells them why. I'm going to harden his heart. I'm going to have myself known like I've made myself known to you, to the nation of Egypt. So God gives them this task. They go and they have not yet seen the miracles or signs. This is the first one that you see as kind of a signal to the rest of the plagues. Moses tells Aaron, throw down your staff. The staff is going to be the signature tool that God is going to use his power through as you see these plagues unfolded. This is kind of like the symbol of God's working through. And he throws, this is crazy to me, he throws his staff down, becomes a serpent, and the other people in Egypt say like, that's cool, but we can do that too. And so however they did that, I don't know, but they make their staff appear as serpents, little sleight of hand, David Copperfield kind of stuff. And then, then Aaron's staff swallows all those up. If that wasn't a sign, hey, neat magic trick, but God's bigger. And yet Pharaoh's heart is still hardened. This presents a problem. What is this all about? And what is a hard heart? Let me try to answer. I know people love when people do this. Let me answer a question with a question. Do you believe, this is for you and I, do you believe that God's word is trustworthy? Do you believe that he loves you, that he's good, and he gives you his word for what is best in life? Now, I say that, really. Do you believe that? Most of us won't argue with the Bible. If I ask that question, do you believe God's word is trustworthy? Most of us are here. If you wanted to pick apart the Bible, you probably wouldn't be here. And you say, yeah, I believe that. I believe that God's word is trustworthy because God wants us to be faithful to his word. But think about how your belief must then translate to action. You see, you and I, even though we might say we believe that, you and I have little Pharaoh hearts. We don't want to do it God's way all the time. We have hard hearts at times. We have sin at times. We have hearts opposed to God and the things of God at times, filled with sin against how he created us to be. Now God, you must know this, God uses hardened sinners. And it's the only, only type of people he can use. Because why? Because that's his only choice of who he has. And so you must know that. He uses hardened sinners because that's who we are. And the question is not, do you have a wicked and sinful heart, a hardened heart? We answered that last week. The Bible clearly says our heart is selfish, depraved. The question is, is God going to use your heart to glorify himself through redemption or through judgment? And it matters to us which one. You see, we say this 
you have to know this. The problem, the biggest problem is, that, is not that we sin. That's not the biggest problem. The biggest problem is that we actually want to sin. That should get us thinking here. The biggest problem is not that we sin. That's a problem. The biggest problem is actually we want to do it. We make an effort to do that. We oppose the things of God. It's why we have little Pharaoh hearts. You see, Christians notoriously will open this book. They'll read a story like this and be like, Pharaoh is really bad. And this is why I asked us to pray that way. God wants to like show you his grace by saying first, you too are really bad. You need my grace. And so don't like remove yourself from this account to be like, man, Pharaoh, he's like, he needed Jesus. We need Jesus. That's the point. We actually want at times to oppose God God and his word. And it goes for all the commands. So if you don't believe me, pick one. We have relational commands in the scriptures. We have church commands, what the church should do. We have missional commands, go and do. We have discipleship commands, be fed, stay in the word, all these things. We have money commands. I want you to do with your money this. I want you to take care of it this way. I want you to give generously this way. We have holiness commands, flee from sin and give yourself to these disciplines in purity. We have all these things. And we say, this question is everything in my life or everything necessary for my life in God's word. Yeah, it doesn't show me like uh, where I should put my money in 401k or investment or this and that, but it tells me how to take care of it. It does have everything that we need. Second Timothy 3, right? The scriptures have all this for reproof, correction, training, and righteousness, all these things to equip the man for good work. So it has everything we need. But often we form our own ideas based on all those commands, and we say, God, I don't know if I want to do it that way in this area. And we kind of detach ourselves from Pharaoh. For example, and I'm not going to unpack these broadly, just briefly, just a few. Look at like church membership. Some of us say like, I don't know about membership and I don't really believe in it. And we say all these things. And God says like, I want you to gather together. I want you to submit to leadership. You form your own identity against something God, who maybe you even said, I believe God's word is trustworthy. He loves me as good. And yet, maybe that doesn't flush itself out. Think about the way that you spend your money. Well, I don't know that I totally agree with tithing and offering and money and, uh, and, and stewarding it the way God says. And so I'll kind of put my own little formed idea together and I'll do it the way I want. But yeah, I believe the Bible is true and trustworthy. Think about loving others. Yeah, I know God says we should love others and the two greatest commandments, Jesus came along and he kind of summarized the list of 10, which we find in the book of Exodus. And he said, love God and love people. But you know what? Some people are just really tough to love God. Maybe you don't understand everything about them. So I don't know if I want to do that. As far as forgiveness goes, do you really know what they've done to me? Like you don't, you must not God, because yes, the Bible is completely trustworthy and true, but I just... I don't know if I want to do it that way. I don't know if I want to, like Peter said 490 times, like I've done 500 times of forgiving. And so I'm just done. Think about all the ways that we have just not believed that very comment that most of us would say yes to. And don't think I'm just talking to unbelievers. The only thing that separates me from an unbeliever is not my wicked and depraved heart. It's the grace of God. So you must know that the mercy of God to have chosen to reveal himself to me is the difference, as we sang about earlier. The real problem of man is that we form this worldview with what we see and not what we hear. 
Now, we talked about this this morning in Sunday school. It is about seeing and believing and seeing and seeing by sight and faith. But what I'm wanting to challenge us with in this context in Exodus 7 is that we often don't hear and listen and just obey. Sometimes we need to see it the way we understand. And so we're challenged to use our ears here. So God in verse 1 is, is, what is, what is he doing here? He tells Moses, see, I've made you like God to Pharaoh. Moses is not a God. Now, several people might think of him as a God and worship him as such, but we learn in the book of Hebrews that Moses is the greater prophet. He's the greater Jesus, the greater, or Jesus is the greatest, but Moses is not the ultimate high priest. Jesus came and he trumped him, if you will. But Moses is learning here of the reason that God appointed him, said, I'm going to give you Aaron. When you speak, just like the book, the the prophets and God's word speaks to us, God is speaking to us and he's saying, Moses, I'm going to like make you like God, a messenger, and Aaron's going to prophesy what I tell you. And so as far as Pharaoh's concerned, you're going to look like God to him. I'm saying these things. Aaron's going to translate what that means to Pharaoh. The aim here is that God is communicating his word through Moses. Now Moses is afraid, skeptical. Remember, at the end of chapter 6, he's convinced the whole thing won't work. How can I go and talk to him if my own people won't even listen to him? He's not eloquent. Children of Israel wouldn't listen. He's of uncircumcised lips. So his faith is being tested in what? God's word. The listening ability. His faith is being tested in God's word. Remember, he has already identified, God has already identified himself as the great I am, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, Jacob. He has revealed himself through the burning bush. I'm the God of all power that has made the promise. It's not looking, remember, all the ways you think it should look, but I have a good plan, and his faith is being tested. And he's essentially saying, go before Pharaoh, I'm going to say something through you, and I'm going to be with you. I'm in control And this is important because when Moses' faith, like our faith, is tested, we need to be reminded God is in control. Which is why verse 2 is so critical for us to understand. God tells him, and if you see this trend developing in Scripture, you are putting your finger exactly where I want you to put it. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. God is very specific in his word. You shall speak not some of what I command you, not form your own opinion. Like, did God really? That's how this whole thing started. Did God really say that? The serpent said to Adam in the garden, Eve in the garden, did God really say this? And sometimes we say, yeah, God told me to do this to my brothers and sisters in Christ and treat them this way, to treat enemies like this, to care for my money this way, to relate to the church this way. But did God really say that? This is key. It's about our listening. Tell Pharaoh all that I have commanded. Go and do all that I have commanded you. And so they're listening, right? Do, as exact, do exactly as I say. It's not about whether, whether Pharaoh will be obedient or not. It's about whether Moses and Aaron will be obedient or not. But it's when we don't listen that our hearts become hard to the things of God, which was question number two. Why are hearts hardened. How does it happen? Hearts are hardened because we do not listen to God's word. It's simple. It's not because of all your bad experiences. It's because hearts have been hardened and they continue in hardening because you do not listen to God's word. 
At the end of this text, we're going to kind of jump down to the end in verses 8 through 12. You see this miracle that I told you about, we read about it. This sign and the magicians replicate it. Keep your finger there and I want you to flip to 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is really interesting. You see, we know these magicians' names, which is really weird. Because Paul himself gives them to us in 2 Timothy. Now, there's no other recording of their names other than here, these magicians that opposed Pharaoh. But what's interesting and I want us to see is what Paul says, what he uses them in context to and what he's talking about. I want to read verses 1 through 9. This is what Paul's writing to Timothy much later by the Spirit. Does he know their names or ancient literature? I don't know. But this is what he says. This is talking about hard hearts. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceits, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That is, stop, right there, long list. Not you, right? Keep reading. Have the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households, capture weak women, burden with sins, and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the, tru- at the knowledge of the truth. Just as Yannis and Yambres opposed Moses. Those are the magicians. So these men also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind, and disqualified regarding their faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as with that of those two men. Now it's interesting that these guys make Paul's letter based on what? Not listening to God's word and opposing. Paul then unpacks this laundry list of hard-hearted behaviors, and Paul likens them. These are just like the magicians who stood in front of Moses and Aaron that day, who saw all of their staves by their magic trick get swallowed up because God was making himself known, and they just opposed it. Their hearts were hard. They didn't care what God had to say. And it happens, what we learn is that hearts become hard. Listen to this, friends. When you love yourself more than you love God. Most of us wouldn't say that we're here in that way and in that spirit today. We would say we're here because we love God. But hardness of heart happens when you love yourself more than you love God. And we learned about that this morning in our idol worship as we see this pattern in scriptures is that they will ruin us because we'll become like them. It would be a good assessment to ask yourself this question in your quiet time. And if you're a note taker, you might want to write this down. And if you're not a note taker, you might want to write this down. Ask this question of yourself this week. What things slash ways do I love myself more than God? If you really want to know the answer, get before God and do it honestly. When we say follow the king into eternity, ask him in a quiet time, open God's word and say, God, I'll pray like David. Reveal any, any wicked way about me. What things do I love in my life What things or ways do I love myself more than God? And you might be surprised, as I have been and continue to be surprised at my wandering heart. Which leads to questions three and four. I'm going to unpack these together. Does God harden hearts? And why does God harden hearts? And I'll put in like 4B. Do I understand this? I'll just give you the answer now. Not really. It's really hard. All right, but we'll try to answer those others. 
Verses 3 and 4, this is where Moses is really challenged and where we find ourselves asking a lot of questions about what's happening right here in this story. Because he says this, But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders, God's going to do these plagues and show himself, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. We look at this and we say, Whoa, 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 time out. What is God doing here? He's hardening Pharaoh's heart. What is going on? God tells Moses to do something, and he says, it's not going to work because I'm actually going to harden his heart. The very thing that I want him to be soft to, I'm going to harden his heart. This presents all kinds of problems for us. Why would God do that? Which is why you have to just flip back to Romans 9, what Matt read earlier. Paul is unpacking here some questions for us. And in summary, is Paul is speaking about the Jews not all being saved. Some of them will have hard hearts, even though they're the offspring of Abraham, right? Children of the promise, as we think. These are the Jewish people. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Not all of them are saved, but God's word hasn't failed. And we, we're, Matt read, what shall we say? Is there an injustice by God's part? I'm going to kind of fly through this from verse 14. By no means, God says, to Moses here, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raise you up, that I might show my power in you. And then skipping down, then he hardens, then he has mercy on whomever he wills, he hardens whomever he hardens. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? Right? It's a good question. Why does God still find fault if he's the one hardening? For who can resist his will? But who are you? Michael unpacked this for us a couple weeks ago, but like, I'm not God. God is God, but I am not. Who are you to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump of one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God... Here's a different question Paul's saying. Let's not think about that. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? So Paul asks a different question. Now listen, if God hardens Pharaoh's heart, it does seem, as we read the scriptures, a bit rough to blame Pharaoh for being hardened, right? Right? when he really couldn't help it. Who can resist his will? This, of course, asks, has us asking questions about free will, or we say human responsibility. And then it has us asking questions about God's sovereignty, meaning that he's in control of all things. Both of those things are true, by the way. Sometimes we try to answer the Bible and its tough questions in the only way that we can see or know, saying something can be true only if I understand it. Friends, we do have free will, the ability to make all kinds of choices. So that must be true. And we've seen evidences of God in his history and in our own lives, be in control of all things. Just read, jot this down if you want to be, 1 Kings 22. Read about what happens in that chapter in Scripture. God's in control of all things. We see Jesus is crucified because God has appointed that to happen. So that must be true. How could he truly be God otherwise? The problem is is that those two things don't seem to operate hand in hand all the time. But again, what doesn't make sense to us all the time doesn't make it true or not. It's why we're back to God speaking and us just listening and obeying even when we can't see it. So God shows us, listen to this in Exodus, and Paul helps us see that, here that God's hardening of Pharaoh's heart and Pharaoh's own hardening of Pharaoh's heart are two, two, two sides of the same coin. 
More than that, God does it how he wants to. He does it in his own way because he is God. In fact, Paul argues, what if God, he asks a different question. What if he did it and he was doing it in a totally different and patient way? He could just reject, but instead he shows his wrath and power and then his patience with the objects of that wrath and power to make his glory known. Why did God choose to do the exodus slowly? Why not skip right to this thing, right to the plagues and judgment? If you're understanding the Bible, you're understanding like, why didn't God just like go right for it? Right to the judgment and the Passover. The question Paul asks is not why does God reject and harden hearts, is why does he do it so patiently and slowly? Why did God harden Pharaoh? To make his known to the Egyptians. That's what verse 5 tells us. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt. So God is saying, I'm doing it this way to make myself known to people. All of our questions still exist, but God is giving the answer. They're going to know who I am. This is similar to the statement that, if you recall, Pharaoh made earlier to Moses. Who is the Lord? And as if God is saying, you will know who I am. So he asked this question, why has God hardened the heart of Pharaoh? Why has he hardened the hearts of the Jews in Romans 9, we learn? That the gospel might overflow to the Egyptians and that the gospel might overflow to the Gentiles. Why does God do it this way? Number one is easy, because he's God. Number two, a little less so, but it's true still. He does it so people will know him. And he chooses to reveal himself that way. Some of us at this point say, well, I don't like the way God does it. Here's the, here's the challenge for us. And I understand, Romans 9, super tough chapter. Romans 11, probably even tougher. Get to Hebrews 6 and then your head is spinning. All right? You must remember though, when God hardens a heart or when one hardens their own heart, they are not changing from neutral or innocent over to guilty. They're guilty already. That's the difference that you and I look at the scriptures. We say, remember, we all have little Pharaoh hearts, but most of us look at the scripture. Man, they really, Pharaoh was bad. He needed like redemption. And you remove yourself from that because you think that somehow your heart has been from neutral or innocent and then over guilty and God has said it different. No, your heart is hard. You're guilty. And only by my grace and mercy will you move to innocence because of the bloodshed of Jesus Christ. When God saves someone, when he softens someone, he changes their state from guilty to innocent. That's salvation and heart change, and only God can do it, which is the answer to our last question. How can a heart be softened? Sometimes I wish I can change my own heart. Like I said, sometimes my wife and I especially wish we can change our kids' hearts. Sometimes, more than often, I wish I could change all of your hearts from moment to moment. But it doesn't happen that way. Look at the end of this text. This is amazing to me. Even after the sign, Aaron throws his staff down and it becomes a serpent. That's impressive, yes? The magicians do it. Okay, didn't see that one coming if my Moses and Aaron. That's kind of impressive. God, where are you? This is not working. But then God does something like incredible. Nice magic trick, Giannis and Yambres. Watch this. I'm going to swallow those up. They're left without their staff. And it says in verse 13, still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. That's crazy. 
He's so stubborn. But it's why Romans 1.19 starts to make sense when you read it. People who see the human body, who see creation, who go stand in front of the Grand Canyon, who see sunsets in all its amazingness and don't see God. What? It's why 1 Corinthians 1.18 makes so much sense. It says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Why would someone not want God's grace? That's ridiculous. It's because their hearts are hardened. Jesus walked around on this earth and he performed miracle after miracle. He showed things to people that nobody had ever seen and that no like magician's trick could do. And they saw it and they saw this whole thing, but they didn't really see it. Why? Because their hearts were hardened. People had the Messiah right in front of them. But they didn't believe. The key lesson in this text today is Moses and Aaron's obedience to trust in what God was asking of them in verses 6 and 7. Moses and Aaron did so. They used their ears to listen what they could not see and understand. They did so just as the Lord had commanded him. 80 years old and 83 years old. Some of us are younger than that and we haven't learned that lesson still. And they get it. And they say, you know what, God? I don't understand this. This thing's going to be really... But they take the step of faith. Their hearts soften. Why? Not because of them, but because of God's word. It's they use their ears, not their eyes. And God's word is heard and obeyed. So I would just ask you this question as, and I close as I asked at the beginning. Is my will strong enough to change my own heart? The answer to that is no, it's not. Only God's word can change your heart. We must know that. Unbeliever, believer, only God's word can change your heart. I had a conversation with my brother-in-law this week and there's some things going on in my family and I've just seen some real hard-heartedness and he called me in the last couple of weeks and he said, you know what, I am sorry that I did this. And he said, the thing about, like I was sh- shocked in a way and he said, I've been memorizing a lot of scripture. And he said, the thing about scripture is when you get in God's word, he starts to reveal your heart. And I thought, yeah, I think that's the power of God's word. You see, friends, we all have problems. We struggle in relationships. We struggle in sin. We have things about us we wish were different. Me too. Those changing and not changing determined by the status of our hearts. Maybe you sit here and you're angry today. Maybe you lack confidence. Maybe you find yourself slowly spiraling downward because you've given yourself over to idols of all different kinds. Maybe your heart is growing cold to people or to God. And I would say those two things have to be synonymous if we know what God has created us to be. I have news for you this morning. Our hearts are not going to fix themselves. Waiting and thinking or even reading those silly, silly books on the bookshelf are not going to do it. They will only change if you get yourself in front of God's word and listen and pray. Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian, but it's important because God's word is open and taught to you. That can change a heart. You need to get yourself in the word. Coming to a D group or a huddle, a discipleship group, that's not going to make you a Christian, but it's going to help get you in front of God's word. Memorizing scripture and knowing the Bible is not going to make you a Christian, but it's going to show God to you and it's going to reveal your heart and your heart will change. 
if God's word, if Christ's word dwells in you richly, as the scriptures say. Jesus came to this earth as the word made flesh, and it's about him, and we're going to sing about that in just a second, and a relationship with him. In fact, what we sang this morning, Come Ye Sinners, and what we're going to sing again is from Matthew 11, Jesus' invitation to get in God's word. And he says it this way, step into my yoke. But it's a yoke, right? He says, step into it. That's commitment. And he says, I want, and by doing that, you say, I want to go where you want to go. Like, I'm going to go with you. But friends, when you are strapped into that, you better believe that Jesus is going to call you out on your sin. When you step into that, you better believe that he's going to say, I want your heart and I want to change it and you're going to have to change because I'm going to change you. But I also believe that he's going to follow that graciously with this. It's paid for. My grace is sufficient. You're here because you need to be because I'm going to save you. The question now is what will you do? Will you use your ears and listen and obey what God says and go and do it? Or will you harden your heart? Friends, no one is lost who desires to be saved. You must know Christ. You must be obedient to Christ. You must be saved by Christ and nothing else will do. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. I thank you for your word. As I studied it and prayed this week and was reminded of the things that my heart is tempted to, because when we get in your word, you reveal who you are as greater and better and a, and, a, and a higher treasure. And Father, when we ask that prayer that I asked us all to pray at the beginning, that, that you would reveal any wicked way about us, that you would soften our heart. Father, sometimes you come up with answers that we never even saw because our heart's course is a slow fade often away from you in our sin. And so Father, I pray now that, that you would have us use this time even as we sing that we would accept Jesus' invitation to come ye sinners, weak and wounded, poor and needy, and say, I want to take Jesus' yoke. I know that will mean heart change, and when it's heart change, it's hard change. But Father, I pray that we would be a people that are repentant, that are faithful. When we answer that question, do we love God's word and love you and think that you have what's best for us, that we would actually go and live it. Father, help us sinners do that. Help us to fall on your grace. We sang this lyric earlier that we have a head full of rocks, some of us bigger heads than others. But Father, I pray that you would take mine and you'd break it to your will and bend it towards your will, that my heart might be solely for you. Father, may Jesus be praised. If there is one who doesn't know you, that they would cry out to you now for forgiveness of sin and trusting Christ by faith for salvation. Father, for those of us that do know you, that we would cry out to you for forgiveness of sin, having already been given, but falling on your mercy again and resting in your grace and walking obediently. Father, may we use our ears even when our eyes fail. To you be praised in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, let's stand and sing together. I have no idea how you're going to leave this place today, but I think some of us could easily walk out of here and just say, you know what? I don't know if I'm really as bad as I think I am. You are. <laughs> you really are. And it's important for us to check our hearts. Some of us make justifications and some of us think about how we're not that bad. 
And it's, it's time for us to just accept this invitation. So I offer you this as we sang about and Jesus makes to all of us because our idolatry, our giving ourselves to the world will ruin us. And Jesus says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I pray that you would ask that question this week and that God would soften your heart to the things that he desires in your life. Have a blessed day. Go in peace. You are sent.